Hi, friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In episode 36, Sasha interviews Lori Bedke, author and director of the Healthcare Leadership Program at Creighton University. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Welcome to the Brave Enough Show. It's your host, Sasha, and I'm really excited today because I want to tell you about something that I have planned for January 2020. Every December around the holidays and just the start of a new year, I do some self-reflection and I've recognized in my life that I need a little pause and I need a little break after, you know, the busy season is over and before I embrace the new year, I just need time to think and reflect. And so what I have done starting last year is created the Brave Enough Retreat. And I've taken about 20 women with me to retreat and we stay in an amazing place and we have about four hours each morning of classes and small groups where we do a deep dive into our professional and personal goals and just check our mental health and our physical well-being. And it's been such a blessing for me. We held the first one last year and it was phenomenal. And women came away making new friends, um, having accountability partners, and just taking a big, deep breath. And so I want to tell you that there are seven spots remaining for January 2020. It's going to be held in beautiful Florida. I have a private estate that I have rented and it's going to be amazing. And so if you're interested, please go to becomebraveenough.com and go on there and look under events and look at the Brave Enough Retreat. I promise you it's worth every penny that you will invest in yourself and you will just have a better year and more clarity going forward. So please join me. I would love for you to join me and I would love to get to know you at the Brave Enough Retreat in January of 2020. I am so excited to have a dear, dear friend that I have probably been friends with longer than I care to admit because it's going to age me, <laughs> but at least, at least 10 years, um, if not more. And she is just a phenomenal voice in healthcare and leader. And she is my dear friend, Lori Bedke, who I have known through several stages of life and recently have just really watched her excel and shine. She's an author. She is a executive coach. She is the executive director of the healthcare programs and leadership development in the business school at Creighton University. And she's just a phenomenal all around supporter of physician leaders and leaders in healthcare in general. So welcome to the show, Lori. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me, Sasha. And Lori, you and I get together, we try to get together, I should say, at least every few months and and have really great conversations. And I think that my goal today is just to share our conversation with the audience. And so many people listening, I know already follow you on social media or have heard you speak, but a lot of people haven't. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. Well, um, it is... It's such a pleasure to be able to talk to your audience because it's some of my favorite people ever. And um, I'm an individual that has um, a longstanding career in healthcare leadership, um, but it's a little bit of a non-traditional path. So I started my career, I have a graduate degree in healthcare administration, and I started my career um, in hospital leadership and specifically on the physician practice side of healthcare leadership. And I thought that that would be my career path. Um, but a couple of years into my career, I spent the first five years there 
I really started to understand that I identified as an entrepreneur. I'm truly an entrepreneur inside and out. And um, in the early 2000s, when a lot of physicians were going back out into private practice, I started a consultancy um, at an age that was probably, well, not probably, definitely um, too young to have been able to strike out on my own. But I started a consultancy and spent the next decade uh, helping physicians start and manage private practice entities and other business ventures. And also then about halfway through that time, so 10 years into my career, I really decided uh, that my deepest affinity um, was leadership development and understanding and identifying what those habits or practices or attributes that allow certain individuals or teams or organizations to find the highest level of performance and to truly thrive, not just survive. And so I've spent the last 10 or 12 years of my career really focusing on that. I, I speak very frequently. I've written two books. Um, and I've done a lot of adjunct teaching over the course of uh, that career, which is how I came to, the, to my current role, which you mentioned is uh, a faculty member and uh, the director of, of healthcare executive education programs at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. So I really feel incredibly blessed to be able to do work that I deeply care about and that I truly love. Um, but it's it's a joy. It's never short of challenges or or workload, uh, but I do feel very very blessed to do work that I love uh, with people uh, who I enjoy like you. Well, one of your gifts, and I know this because I have been the recipient of of this. One of your you know biggest strengths and talents is your ability to see what someone else their talents and their strengths are and really the direction, point them in the direction of personal development and professional development. And certainly you've done that for me. You know, I, I think I shared a story recently on my podcast about a time when um, I was telling you how they were looking for some, a leader in my institution and you, I was very junior and you looked at me and said, well, why aren't you putting your name in? And I was like, me, what? I'm an assistant professor. I can't do that. But you clearly saw that I could. And one, I think that's one of your biggest strengths. Um, and so do you, I, I'm, I'm wondering because I often get similar questions and from the audience or emails or texts from, from people who are like, you know, I really want to do this thing, but I'm not sure if it's the right thing for me, or I don't know if I can do it. I very rarely get the person that has massive blind spots to their weaknesses. I tend to get more feedback from specifically from women who, um, aren't sure have more of that imposter syndrome, aren't sure of their strengths. What, what do you think that it is in you or what, what are some of the pearls and wisdoms that you have kind of developed over the years for your ability to look at a physician or a non-physician healthcare leader and recognize their abilities and strengths? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, it, Honestly, there there aren't all that many questions that are that hard to answer for me because that's that's a really hard one to answer. I mean, it is, I guess, um, an innate talent of mine to be willing to step into um, those conversations in a way that's formative. Um, I sincerely enjoy that, and I find it terrifically rewarding and gratifying. But I think to be more practical in how, how I talk about how that conversation unfolds. It is, um, it's a combination of a couple of things. You mentioned, I mean, it's pretty rare that someone has a big glaring blind spot that's just holding them back from being effective in a role. Um, although that of course happens, we all have blind spots yes. and biases. And 
any of us who are intended toward being a good leader, we're always putting ourselves in the company of other people and being reflective in our own way that helps us to consistently and intently, intentionally kind of work on that because we're all very flawed and imperfect. But I've often um, shared a mantra that I, I try to live my life by, and that's really to be the leader that you needed. Mm. And I really identified that very early in my career, Sasha, as something that I, I, I'm a, a high growth mindset person who wants very much to advance and grow and expand my own capacity. And so right away, early in my career, I started seeking out mentors. I started seeking out collegial relationships with other folks that were like me and different from me who could help to round out that. And I found that it was pretty rare. That's something that not everyone um, it's just not something that a lot of people make time for. So I strongly encourage that people do that. But a part of that process really helped me to identify that um, you don't have to be prepared all the way to rise, which is why I told you what I told you in that conversation you just mentioned. Why not you, Sasha? And I just had, you know, a coaching conversation with a client earlier this week, helping her to, you know, see something that she shared with me that seemed very benign. Um, you know, she had an opportunity. She just received grant funding for a project and she was thinking of um, giving away essentially the leadership authority to it because she has several other appointed leadership opportunities already. And I challenged her to say, um, why would you give that away? Um, there will be a time she's still kind of in that in that section of her career where she needs to continue to hold on to that. But the, she was seeing this as I don't want people to perceive me as greedy for holding on to this. Uh, and she was yeah. going to give it away. And as you well know, it is incredibly unique circumstantially for us to assess. Should I be holding on? Should I be delegating? And it's it's um, <laughs> it's it's not a perfect science to manage that. But I think more often than not, we can tend to. Um, either decline or give away things, especially women, um, do this to themselves. And then they end up um, not getting credit for some of the things that they should be receiving credit for. Um, but I think one of the other things, um, going back to your original question of, you know, what are some of those common challenges? I think I would also say that we all tend to hold on to our failures way too much. And I know that you uh, believe this and, and, and speak and write about this frequently also, but we all have failures or um, adversities and suboptimal moments or outcomes or experiences that if we psychologically allow those to linger, um, they have the potential to devastate us. And I think one of the common challenges is if we don't consistently work on how we identify ourselves and grow in that process, we then struggle psychologically to be the leader that we should be on a day-to-day -day basis. And you and I have frequently in our conversations talked about, you know, challenges in either of our respective careers and how we move past them and learn from them, not allowing them to define us, but allowing them to be formative and learning lessons from them, but then letting them go in a way that allows us to be whole. And I think one of the other beauties of being in the company of other amazing people um, is that it normalizes 
adversity. It normalizes failure. It normalizes hardship in a way that, um, you know, I vividly remember a conversation in, uh, that you and I had on your back deck um, a handful of years back um, where you shared an exciting something that had happened to you. And it was a, a very substantial something. But then you also shared kind of the underbelly of how that happened. And the road to success is often littered with setbacks mm-hmm. or rejections or, you know, being passed over. And that is normal. And and I thanked you for sharing that story with me that moment, that evening. And the reason that I thank you for it and why it's etched into my memory is because when I look across the table um, at a incredibly competent, credible, um, successful leader position like you and realize that you've been, you know, told no, you've been passed over, you've had a rejection um, or a shortcoming, but yet you continue to be competent and credible and capable, um, that normalizes failure. And it helps me to realize that when it happens to me, it's not definitive of who I am unless I let it. Oh, I love that. I love this because where you're going, I want to unpack a couple really wise things that you said. Um, At one point in my career, I realized that, and, and I realized the importance of sharing this publicly, is that when I get rejected for something, I have two, two paths that I can go from there. Um, I can not talk about it, which is what my ego is telling me to do, not talk about it and bury it. But then what happens is, is it starts to, it it would define me. And I would, I would, my internal self would think when the next opportunity came up, well, you aren't good enough for that, or you aren't qualified enough for that, or you will not be picked for that because based on your last rejection, because if you had been the person that was the best for that job, you would have been picked for that job. And so the feedback that I got, I internalized versus now when I get rejected, I'm pretty upfront about it. And I share it because what I, what it does is it allows other people who have my best interest in mind, people that I consider to be peer mentors, people that I consider to be colleagues. It does two things. It, number one, it allows me to get positive feedback on my failure. So if I share with you over a glass of wine, Lori, I just applied for this chair job and I did not get picked. I didn't get a second interview or a third interview. You will, you will unpack it with me and you will tell me all of the reasons why, um, I was totally probably competent for that job. Or maybe what do you, why do you think you didn't get that job? Or would you have wanted that job, which then produces a positive feedback versus if I hide that failure, it's only Sasha to break it down with, which typically ends up in a negative light. And then the second thing that it does when you share your rejections and your failures, even at a high level of leadership, it encourages those at your level and behind you to go, oh, Sasha got rejected. That's just part of normal life. And that doesn't mean that that there's anything necessarily wrong with Sasha. It was just a rejection. And now it, it, it allows other people to realize that rejections may not be fair. Getting passed over aren't fair, but it, it or may not be the, actually based on objective data. I mean, who knows, right? But- yes. The, the, there is a growth opportunity there and our ego tells us to hide it. You know, like some, I know people that don't tell anybody when they're going up for something cause they don't want to face 
the question if they're rejected of, hey, did you get that job? Did you get that promotion? Did you get that grant? Did you get this um, published? And I, I used to be like that, Lori. I used to be like, I don't even want to tell people because if it gets rejected, then I'm going to have to face the fact that I was a failure. But it actually ended up creating a lot of negative internal dialogue with me. And I can tell you now that I've shared my failures with people and I put myself out there and I'm more vulnerable about my rejections, it, it has helped me. And I think it has helped others. Um, I could not, I could not agree more. You are so spot on. So honestly think, no, I just wanted to, I wanted to hear more about that because I think that you are somebody who people look up to tremendously in healthcare. I mean, you are a national speaker, you are an author, and I know for a fact that people look at you and are so intimidated by you as someone who has like never failed, like, (laughs) you know, and, and so I would love to hear you share how you, how you deal with that personally, how you deal with rejections and failure. Yeah. So, um, to dispel that myth, um, and (laughs) my husband and my teenage children would be happy to advocate for the fact that I fail frequently. Um, (laughs) so I I do, I mean, I, I think that that is so important to talk about Sasha and yes. So, I mean, there are a couple of moments that were somewhat seminal in my career. And, um, I remember vividly early in my career, so I, I came out of undergrad early. I went through undergrad in three years. I was incredibly young when I finished my graduate degree and um, started my first roles in healthcare. And in the first two and a half years of my career, I applied for, I had a, an entry level um, role in healthcare leadership. And I applied for four promotions in that first two and a half years. Two were inside of my organization. Um, and two were outside of my organization, just that nice one step up on the wrong type opportunities. And I was passed over for all four of them. And um, they were formative. They were positive um, in terms of, you know, someone entertaining a conversation with me. But I was passed over because I was so young and green. And anyone who knows me knows that I am supremely driven and ambitious and goal oriented and focused and terrifically impatient. And so you can imagine that those two and a half years were so hard for me. Um, but then I completed, um, my graduate residency with a CEO, um, who uh, I I found to be an amazing mentor and as luck would have it halfway through my time in that organization, in that role, um, the VP of clinics was fired Uh, for non-performance. And I was so young um, and I was terrifically underqualified. Like that was three or four steps up on the rung of the ladder for me. And, um, but I knew several things. A, I was so focused and driven and I knew that I could learn that job. It might um, be the biggest learning curve ever, but I knew I could do it. I believed deeply that I could. I knew that that CEO, that mentor was an amazing mentor and I could learn from him and he would be a huge asset to me. And the third piece is that I knew I fit with that senior leadership team. They, they accepted me as a peer. They were amazing people and I fit that culture. And so I asked if I could toss my hat in the ring. And um, fast forward, um, I was given the opportunity. I think that CEO saw that same potential in me. And so two and a half years into my career, right before my 23rd birthday, 
um, I was named a vice president of a hospital. And that is jaw dropping. I realize it sounds <laughs> audacious to say it. And in hindsight, it is like crazy to think about. But I spent two and a half more years in that organization and thrived and learned so much. And I worked um, you know, incredibly hard. Um, so, so hard, but it was amazing. And those two and a half years that I was being passed over, Sasha, I just kept saying, am I not the leader that I think that I am? Do I, do I, are, are other people seeing in me, you know, am I, am I naive to think I, the self doubt, the perseveration, the frustration was numbing. Yes. Um, and it was, and it was so frustrating, but Obviously, two and a half years is not very long <laughs> right. in one's life. Uh, but that that was a, a, a setback or a failure that I share very, very often with emerging leaders in healthcare, brand new uh, folks starting their career to just encourage them to be tenacious, encourage them to be resilient in their own mental management of how they step through those setbacks, those tough moments and seasons. Um, but I mean, it's that, and I could give, you know, five other examples that time doesn't allow today, but yeah, continue to, if you're someone who's consistently pushing the bounds of your own capacity and growing and then conquering those next levels in your career, I can assure you that that will never end because it has not for me. And I am in the company of so many other amazing people who it never stops forties, fifties, sixties, like if you're going to level up and grow all the way through your career, you're going to constantly have to get to the point where you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh, I, I know that is, you know, it is so true. It is, it's the basis of change is discomfort, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think about all of the changes in healthcare with the rise of the electronic medical record and, you know, a lot of things that are coming out with artificial intelligence and just care teams and all the things that are that we face every day in medicine. And we really resist change a lot because it's so discomforting and it's so hard. I always give the example of, um, when I was a junior faculty, I figured out really quickly that I needed to learn the skill of echocardiography. And so I did an executive fellowship at the university of Utah, where I learned echo. And at first doing echocardiography in my practice was so discomforting and so uncomfortable and such a pain in the butt. I had to go, it probably added an hour to my day easily because I had to go get a machine. Um, we, we only had one machine. I would have to try to get there early enough to get the machine. Um, so before anybody else grabbed it, um, I would have to, you know, download the study plug in the machine, turn it on, um, try. And I was still learning. So, you know, everybody else, my partners were looking at me like, why are you doing this? Why don't you just do anesthesia? Like we always do anesthesia. Do you really need that echo? And I knew in my heart, I had to get through this discomfort time. Like, and it took probably a year of what was added work, um, to my everyday workflow. But now I can tell you, like I've built my career on this. I've trained, you know, 25 people in my department on how to do this. And it has saved literally hundreds of people from having poor outcomes. And I know it's the right thing for patients. And now I'm super efficient at echocardiography. It does not add any more time to my day. But at the beginning, it was so uncomfortable for me. And I remember being in that uncomfortable time where I was like, is this really worth it? But I think that that what you've said is so true. We have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's no different than when we 
go for a promotion or we put our name out there for something or we try to be elected to some position or we ask for something. It is so uncomfortable in asking. And one of the things that you're so good at is I know you give a lecture on, you know, the art of the ask, but it's, it's uncomfortable for us, right? We want people to just notice what we're doing and somehow make the path easier for promotion or for leadership or for another, um, whatever it is that we want, whatever that goal is, we want it to be easy. So like, what do you say to people that you coach leaders and executives that you coach that are just totally uncomfortable in asking, like what's, what's something, how do you coach them? Yeah. So I was, uh, I hang on, let me think about this. I'm going to have to, uh, tee this up right. Um, I think that's a really important question, Sasha. And I think a couple of the things that I would say first, I'm going to go back to where you were a moment ago and say that what you just described, what I shared is really one of the most functional parts of leadership is leadership by example. The messy things that we really wrestle with individually and organizationally are never the tactical. I mean, that will never be short of challenges um, because there's always disruptive, you know, emerging things that are threatening to change the way that we've always done them. But the more challenging elements of any of our jobs, if we're honest with ourselves, is the human component. It's Mm. our individual management of Mm. how we do everything that we do and then how we show up in the world and a collaboratively work to execute on, you know, the initiatives that we have, but then navigate those messy human interaction and interpersonal matters. And, um, it's way too safe and way too common for us to default to just focusing only on the tactical because it's, it's more predictable. Um, and it's less intimidating, but what you're describing Sasha is, you know, leading by example and being more open and transparent about how we wrestle with any of those, whether it's, you know, sharing and acknowledging our shortcomings, our failings, um, in a way that we, none of us have any idea how many eyes are on us, Mm -hmm. who is looking to us to be an example of excellence clinically, leadership wise, just from a a humanity perspective. Um, And especially you're in academic medicine. So many of us work in an academic environment where we are shaping the next generation of leaders and they're taking their cues from us. And sadly, there's a real dearth of an example of excellence when it comes to people who accept their strengths and their weaknesses. They do so humbly. They do so courageously. They do so honestly, not in a distorted or in a dysfunctional or toxic way, but they just do it in a whole manner. And then they find people like them to put around them, to encourage them, to validate them, to whom they can encourage and exhort and validate in the process. And I think it's incredibly important for us to think about that. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things that I give as advice is just to really embrace that massive challenge of bellying up to that bar. Mm -hmm. And it's a big old high bar. Um, But the alternative is not sustainable. Um, We see such an example of people who are... um, I think leaving money on the table or living under uh, a diminished capacity because they're unwilling to embrace how to 
acknowledge their weaknesses, let other people come around them and compliment them and collaborate with them in a way that's empowering and productive, um, but also that doesn't keep them trapped in a sense of having to mask, to fight, to hide what they are and what they aren't. Mm -hmm. And that psychologically is a tax that eventually becomes, you know, unsustainable, unpayable. And I think that we see that happening a lot in healthcare. Um, but it, it happens in every other industry. I talk to corporate leaders, I talk to entrepreneurs, I talk to, you know, very diverse folks from very different types of professional careers. And that is very common. It is not specific just to healthcare, although we see it so, so prevalent in our industry. Well, and don't you think that like, one of the things that I think that has really changed my perspective is when I, and, and you've helped me with this several times is when you've, you know, asked me like, well, who are you listening to about this? Because mm -hmm. so many times, and I am, I have learned this about myself that I'm a challenger. I'm number eight on the Enneagram. <laughs> big shock. That doesn't shock you, but it may shock others. And so a lot of times I challenge the status quo and I want to do something different. I'm an innovator and I, I really like to constantly be challenging myself. It's, if I feel stagnant, it actually, it, it's really bad for Sasha. So I am someone who I don't love doing the same thing year after year after year. I like challenges and I like change. And so for me, I'm constantly having to be uncomfortable because I'm constantly having to kind of push the boundaries and say, well, can, well, can I do this or can I do that? Or how can I do this and meet the same goals? And I too fall into the trap of expecting people to just be like, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, if the status quo is going is it looks one way and you're trying to make, forge a new path, you're going to meet obstruction. And I think knowing num two things, number one, that that's a normal response to an ask is oftentimes obstruction, especially if it's outside of the norm. And then the second thing is, who are you listening to? Like who, you know, are, is pouring into you? Because certainly it really affects your mindset. If you're around people who are like, that's not going to work. They're never going to let you do that. Or you, that's just not going to, that's not going to be possible versus someone who's like, okay, this is the obstruction. Um, how are we going to get it? How are you going to get around it? Do you, can you go over it? Can you go through it? Can you go under it? What, what can you do? Um, and, and so I think it's really important to have people around you that have your best interest in mind, aren't going to sugarcoat it, aren't going to be like, oh, just, you know, it should be easy because it's not easy, but that are going to encourage you to persist and to just figure out that way around. And I, I think so many people are isolated especially in medicine. I think so many leaders are isolated and they feel that they don't maybe have a tribe of, you know, a close few amount of people that can really pour into them or a coach that can direct them or a mentor that can help them or a sponsor or someone that can say, actually, your idea is good and what you want to do is possible. It's just, you got to figure out a different way to do it. Agreed. I was just having a conversation with one of my executive MBA students last week, and she had reached out to me and, and asked to, you know, have an advising call about something that she was facing um, in her career. And there was an upcoming <clears throat> transition going to be happening in her organization. And she very much wanted to be able to be considered uh, for a role that was going to be coming open. But um, she is not conventionally aligned to that job description. She's been working in that area and she's known to be a high performer, 
but it would be unconventional. It would be disruptive. It would be, you know, she would be challenging conventional norm if she asked to put her hat in the ring. Mm. But as you know, I'm a person <laughs> that's always going to raise my hand to be considered and encourage everyone around me to do the same. And so I said, here's the thing. You need to make the case for it. You're proven to be a high performer. You have the trust and respect. Um, you're going to have to make the case for it. But I said, start to telegraph your past. And that's you know something I've been encouraging a lot of folks around lately. What do I mean by telegraph your past? Well, we all know what it means for a quarterback to telegraph his past, right? He's going he's gonna to show visibly to the defense where the ball is going to go. And if he does that, he's giving away you know, the defense. Well, we want to do that in our careers. What do I mean by that? Telegraphing your past means I'm going to consistently tell people where I'm going. I'm going to drip on them. I always have people around me who I'm saying, you know, one year from now, three years from now, five years from now, I have multiple conversations and I'm telegraphing my past with them in such a way that I'm telling people where I'm going and what doors I'm going to want or need opened to me. And that sounds greedy and presumptuous, but it's really just strategic. It's all those people, any of the mentors or sponsors or colleagues I have in my circle, I'm telegraphing my past to them so that they know where I'm going, but I'm doing it and I'm delivering it and I'm talking about it in a way that says, I'm also grooming myself. So it's not an entitlement. It's not just a, hey, will you open this door for me? It's a hey, this is where I'm going and this is what I'm doing to prepare myself. But if I'm doing that strategically, I'm going to also in align them to my path so that they can help in that regard. And for this particular student, I said, you need to telegraph your past. So if it is unconventional that when that role opens up in that you know 12 to 18 months timeline, that they wouldn't be considering you, you have to start telegraphing your past now. I love that. I love that. That is so... That is so good and so smart because I think so many times we do that in our own mind, but we don't project it or let anyone know. And I know so yeah. many people. I mean, I specifically, I talk about women just because I coach and m most of the people that take my classes are women. But so many times they're like, I really wanted this thing and I didn't get it. Nobody even looked at me and I've worked so hard. I've done all these things. And I'm like, but did you verbalize that? Like not yeah. just once, but were you like persistent about it? Like, did you say, I want that job? I want, I can do that in three years. I'm going to be doing that job. Well, no, yep. because I don't, I don't think I'm worthy of it because, or I don't think I know I'm worthy, but they must not think I am. I'm like, that's because you have to force the issue. You have to like, let them know, like scream from the top of your lungs that that's where I'm going. I'm heading this direction and I want to do it here or I want to do it at another institution or whatever you want to do, but you have to be really, really forceful. And I know it takes energy, right? It takes energy yep. for us to express where we are going. That's like an added thing to the, our day and our jobs. We can just keep going through our daily jobs and do a good job at whatever it is and, and great check on, off the performance. But to move forward with authority and with intention takes a plan and a plan takes energy, you know? And I always, I had Erin Bass on the show who's, uh, she is awesome. I don't know if you know her, Lori, but I need to connect you too. She's a PhD at um, UNO here in Omaha. And she said something so great that has stuck with me. She said, you know, um, a calendar is not a strategic plan. <laughs> 
like, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to actually like have a strategic plan for your life and, but it takes energy and it takes time, you know? And I, I think so many times we just kind of put it off to the back burner and, and may not really, um, embrace that. But the last thing I wanted to talk to you today is one of the things that you've always said and, and, and expressed and encouraged others is that hard is normal. And can you just talk about that phrase for just a a few minutes? Yeah. So piggybacking on where we just left that last piece. Yes. I mean, if you're going to be successful in that endeavor that I just mentioned, you might have to spoon feed it to people. And that investment of your own work ethic is the cost of the possibility of earning what you really want. Um, I don't very often get told no. And I ask for a lot of things. I am, you know, more than two decades into my career and I keep asking for things and people keep opening doors for me. But what I have to do then is all of the hard work to earn it, to prepare myself, to psychologically deal with the intimidation and the terror and the imposter syndrome that goes along with, you know, taking on a new level or challenging a next, you know, part of your growth journey and then delivering and executing effectively on the work that's entrusted to you. Um, But hard is normal. What? I mean, it's it's psychologically hard because we have to deal with that fear of rejection. We have to deal with the, you know, the intimidation of what if we fail and other people know what if we fail and that outcome has a, a really negative consequence financially for my organization. For those of you who are clinicians, there are clinical and patient outcomes on the line. These are very, very real fears. But if you're continuing to put in the hard work to to Um, grow yourself from a competence perspective and from a credibility perspective to be able to be proven, qualified to handle the work. And then you are willing to do the hard work of actually performing and executing on the work. Um, But then I think that other piece, which, which we talked about earlier, is that human quotient, because the the technical parts of any of our jobs, no matter what we do, I mean, we train for that formally, academically, and in our ongoing certification and continuing education. But and it's it's hard. Um, but it's really not the hairy monster. The big, hairy, hard stuff is the interpersonal and the human. And how do I show up as a whole individual who's willing to be humble when it's necessary? Who's willing to be courageous when it's needed? who's willing to, you know, be an example of vulnerability and, you know, humanity to others who are taking their cues from me and who I ought not to BS or snow in the process. That's the hard and hard Mm. is very normal. And the more that you and I and, and others who are listening and everyone around us are willing to embrace that part of being hard, being whole. And when we get knocked down and we will get knocked down, we just commit ourselves to keep getting back up. There's this amazing book, Micro Resilience. It's written by Bonnie St. John. And she talks about micro resilience from the perspective of just how many times do you have to get back up? Mm. We all get knocked down and that's hard and it's normal. And the more we talk to other amazing people and get into authentic exchange with people, we will be consistently reminded that everyone fails and everyone faces hardship and adversity and setbacks. We all get knocked down. It's just a matter of who continues 
to courageously and consistently keep getting back up and and committing in that process to myself and to everyone who I'm you know responsible for leading or serving in the process that I'm going to continue to get back up and I'm going to continue to equip myself to be better every day than I was the day before. And um, that's very, very hard. Um, but it's it's just what the journey to excellence looks like, no matter what it is that the work that you do. I love that. And I love that you that when you talked about being human and how it's a balance. And that is the hard part. The, the hard part is being human and being a leader, but still being vulnerable and being real. And you've given us so many amazing pearls. And I know that there are women and men listening that are going to want to follow you and hear more of your wisdom and get to know you or hear you speak someday or read your books. Can you just share a little bit about how our listeners can find you? Yep, absolutely. So I am really active on Twitter uh, my, at, at Lori Bedke. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. You can find me on both of those channels. Um, and that contains links to the work that I do at Creighton, uh, leading the healthcare executive education programs. And then I host a podcast called the Growth Edge Leadership Podcast. And so people are welcome to find me on any of those channels. And I welcome those conversations. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and sharing yourself and your, your true self, your authentic and your stories of failure and how you got back up again. And we just so appreciate it. And for all of you listening today, I know that uh, you probably got some great wisdom and encouragement, and I hope that you remember to always live brave. This has been an HSG production. 